Um, let's open our Bibles to Revelation 21, and the goal is to look at the final verses in that chapter, verses 22 through 27. We left off at uh, verse 21 last Sunday, if you were with us. Uh, these are just tremendous chapters, tremendous verses. Uh, it's hard, as we mentioned last Sunday, even with the limits of the English language, and God is well aware of those limits, but to describe things like this that go beyond anything we can imagine. And so keep that kind of in mind as we go through these descriptions, that they're more than the descriptions. They're, they're beyond anything our senses have experienced on this side of glory. So as we read these verses together, I'd like you to follow along in your Bible. And if you can, if you're comfortable, please stand as we read his word together. Beginning in verse 22 again, Revelation chapter 21. And I saw no temple in it. Now we're talking about the new Jerusalem. We're talking about the new heavens and the new earth and then the new Jerusalem as was described to John that comes down from heaven. So this will be the, the heavenly city, the place where we will be if our names are in the Lamb's book of life. And I saw no temple in it or sanctuary for the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple or sanctuary. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine upon it. Interesting as the men are going through the opening verses of Genesis chapter 1. We've just had the sun and the moon and the light and the dark, all those things created. Now we have no more need for it in, the, in one of the last chapters of the Bible. For the glory of God has illumined it and its lamp is the Lamb. Verse 24, and the nations shall walk by its light and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it. And in the daytime, for there shall be no night there, its gates shall never be closed, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, verse 27, and nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You may be seated. Father in heaven, we ask for your help this morning as we look into these phenomenal chapters and verses that, that end, that become the ending of your revelation to us in the New Testament in the whole of your revealed word, the Old and New Testaments together. And Lord God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would give us the ability to even begin to grasp some of these truths, that they would affect us, that these wouldn't just be facts in black ink on a page, Lord, but these truths would lodge deeply in us, would penetrate us and change us, change the way that we live now, change our attitude now, change the way that we look at this life now. So be our teacher this morning, we pray in the name of the Lamb who lights that future city, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I once picked up a shampoo bottle. Now, not just once, but I once picked up a particular shampoo bottle. And while I was holding it, I was glancing at the ingredients list. You may have done this, and I couldn't help but shake my head a little as I read, or I should clarify, attempted to read one virtually unpronounceable 17-letter word after another. And so you've got sodium this, 
multiple letters. You've got chloride that, most multiple letters, all things that I haven't a clue what they even are or what they do. But this time what amazed me even more with this particular shampoo bottle was another list, this one nearly as long, if not longer, boasting about all the things that this particular shampoo didn't have. Things like no parabens, no phthalates, no petrochemicals, no alcohol, no synthetic preservatives, no dyes, no sulfates, no soaps, no phenolonanols, and on and on the list went. They actually seemed, the manufacturer, the marketer, more excited about what their product didn't have. Now, this isn't obviously limited to hair care products. In fact, it seems to be more and more a growing marketing trend to consumers who maybe have grown a little bit suspicious, consumers that have been burned in the past across industries. So we read of things or we're told of benefits like no hassle financing, no pushy salespeople, no long lines, no extra fees, no cheap fillers, no bioengineered ingredients, no cages, no animal hormones. And there is increasingly great value, we are told, across industries as to, for you the consumer, what is not there. With the not-haves, we are to feel more safe. We are to feel more secure, less frightened, more, less stressed, more taken care of. Well, interestingly, I thought, in Revelation chapter 21, the, the verses particularly that we just looked at a few moments ago, verses 22 through 27, God also seems to define and describe heaven the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth, as much by what will not be there as what is there. Now, we already saw this list of negatives begin at the very first verse. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 21, what did we read? As he introduces the topic, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is, here's the first one, there is no longer any sea. And we talked about that, the sea being a, a place of, of, that was frightening for first century dwellers, a, a sea being a place of unknowns and calamity and huge storms and, and many, many people that would go out to sea and then never return, a, a place of battle. It's not there anymore. It dropped down to verse 4. He told us what? And he shall wipe away every tear, so there shall no longer be any tears, any crying. And there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And now he returns to this at the end of the chapter. There will be no more as the emphasis in verses 22 through 27. Utilizing the Greek language, six forms of, of the word no to describe four more hugely important exclusions. 
And so that's what I want to look at this morning. That's what I want to concentrate on this morning. What isn't going to be there? Because this is God's part of his emphasis here as he's describing the new Jerusalem. So let's look at each one carefully. Here's number one. And we just read this together, beginning of verse 22. There will be no sanctuary. There will be no sanctuary. Your version might say temple. It might say sanctuary. There will be no sanctuary. Look at verse 22 again. We just read it together. And I saw no temple or sanctuary in it. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. Well, what does that mean? What is... What is the, the tour guide explaining to John? What is the Holy Spirit impressing upon John about the new Jerusalem? Well, the temple, the sanctuary, the tabernacle, we well know, if we know our Old Testament at all, throughout the Old Testament was what? We might call it the center of God's presence, right? His glory resided there, the primary place of worship, was there. We read about this in Exodus chapter 40. We read about this in 1 Kings chapter 8. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ changed all that. In the opening verses of John's own gospel, first chapter, verses 14 and 18, we read simply that we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten from the Father. But this has all been limited somewhat, maybe restrained, for lack of a better word. The glory of God embodied in the Lord Jesus Christ was embodied in a person, in a specific place, for a specific time, right? But in heaven, we will, according to 1 John 3, 2, see him just as he is. John's writing, the way that that verse is formed, telling us that there, there is something greater to come. We see Jesus as he is in a, in a limited fashion now. We can read all four Gospels. We can experience the presence of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus in us. But John seems to be saying that there's more. We don't see it all this side of glory. There's something to anticipate, to long for. What will that be? We have it right here in verse 22. The Lamb is its light. The, the glory of God is there. There's no more need for this particular place. That he will be fully revealed, his brilliant glory unrestrained. Now, as you think about this for a moment, on this side of glory, don't we have a tendency... As human beings in our fallen nature still under the curse, to limit God, to, to somehow confine him, if you will, to, to things like, what are the words, structures, systems, routines, rituals. At my dad's a few weeks ago, I was there for the last time at the house. I wasn't here. That's where I was with my brother 
doing the, the last minute go through, through all of his house. And, and I started off in the garage the morning. I got there in the evening. The next morning, got up early, went out to the garage and started to clean everything up. My brother had to do something else, went into the office. And so I spent from about seven o'clock in the morning to noon beginning to clean everything out in the garage. Well, my dad's garage was very, very clean, but I found a lot of stuff. So there was stuff, stuff behind stuff, stuff behind that, things that I'd never seen before that I didn't know my dad was hoarding. So I began very orderly. I made three very distinct piles. One pile was to take to the dump. One pile was to, to that we valued, or I knew there were certain people that wanted these things, and the other pile were just things that we needed to get rid of. And so I couldn't help but think about those particular piles, and you may do that same kind of cleanup at home. So when you're going around, you're cleaning out a closet, or you're cleaning out your guest bedroom, or you're cleaning out your own garage, you may begin to look at things, and this is a keep pile, this is a maybe put on Craigslist type pile, this is definitely a trash pile, right? You organize things that way. I wonder sometimes if we don't have a God pile, that there are things in our lives that we delegate to God, that we put in that specific God pile, but it's very neat and it has parameters and it only goes so far. We compartmentalize because we have such a tendency to think of God in restrictive terms. God is limited to this part of my life, to the spiritual part of my life. How often do we use terms like that? to the religious part of my life. And so we say, he's okay here, but maybe not here, and he becomes more manageable, we think, that way. Well, why not train already for what we're going to experience in glory? We're not there. We can't experience his full glory, no need of the temple, the sanctuary, the, the God's glory being somewhat limited, somewhat restrained, although we don't worship in a temple or a sanctuary. This is not a sanctuary. I don't mean to disappoint you or burst your bubble. This is just a building made of, of wood and nails and, and everything else, just like your home, just like any other structure. This just happens to be the place where we meet but in glory, can you imagine that? God's glory will permeate everything. It will be everywhere at the same time. There will be no limit to it. There won't be some of God's glory over here and less of it over there. There won't be a, a big tent that you go into that says, enter God's glory. Get your tickets here. Come on in, folks. God's glory is not going to be in the new Jerusalem. And as you go out through those various gates, it won't be outside the gate. And if you want to see it, you have to go back in. God's glory will be everywhere. So as I mentioned just a moment ago, why not practice for glory now? And appreciate the fact that God isn't limited. That his glory is everywhere. And God does permeate my life. God is a sovereign God who has 
to do with all of my life at every moment. Fascinating thing to think about, isn't it? We don't even know what that's like. Number two, there will be no sun. There will be no sun. Quite simply, in the city has no need of the sun. So read that carefully. The city, it doesn't say there will be no sun. God took the sun away. It says, and the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God, glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. So cause and effect here. We just talked about the sanctuary. No sanctuary, no need for the sun, moon, or stars. His glory will fully light everything. Can you imagine what that will be like? Well, if we go back to verses 4 and 5, we looked at verse 4 just a few moments ago. The end of that verse says, The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne, verse 5, said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write these words, for they are faithful and true. Well, what's going on here, and how does this re relate to the Son? Well, verses 4 and 5 show us that this is all part of God's new order. Amazingly, the Son, which unfortunately we can't see today, but we can see the light of the Son, correct? Even through the clouds, the snow, the rain. But this Son which is always there every day of your life. Is there anybody who has gotten up one morning and, and the sun just wasn't there? The sun has always been there. It's always on time. It always does the same thing. And so we have depended on it for life, haven't we? We know that. Science has told us that. This is true science has told us that the sun provides life for us through, through producing oxygen, through producing our food and, and warmth and energy and, and weather regulation. That sun, according to Revelation verse 23, here in 21, will be instantly extinguished, maybe likened to blowing out a candle. Because simply the verse says it won't be needed. The sun did its appointed job. It was created God by God for a particular job. It did its job very, very well. But here in Revelation chapter 21, its retirement party will come. And along with it, any darkness. After all, the sun only shines about 11 or 12 hours a day right now. So the darkness will also be gone, implied in this verse. Think about that. No more night. No more of the complications that come with darkness. I don't like to drive at night. I don't see the same way. I don't know if there's anybody in here. I mean, I don't see all that well anyway, but I see much better during the day. During the night, night driving, I get, you know, reflected reflections and, and refraction from bright lights and all of these different things. But night is always different. There's no more spooky shadows, no security lights, no nightmares, no emergency generators. No more fear of the darkness. 
We have the promise which applies to us right now, but will apply to us in the future to such a fuller and perfect degree. When John writes in 1 John 1.5, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. We will see the reality of that. God is light. Not a light bulb. Not a security light. Not a big beam in the sky. God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. Thirdly, there will be no self-glory. I thought this was interesting. Look again at verse 24 through 26. And the nation shall walk by its light. So continuing on that same thought. And the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it. That's an interesting term because now we have kings of the earth with glory, much different glory than God's glory. And in the daytime, for there shall be no night there, its gates shall never be closed, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. So we're talking about a different kind of glory here, aren't we? We're talking about more of a, a man-oriented self-glory. So what's the truth being proclaimed in these verses? I love this. Look at it carefully. Look at what's being described. It's almost like a 24-hour-a-day a parade going on here of various saved people from a variety of places, variety of nations, but also, more importantly, a variety of stations in life. So here's the truth. Get this. Whatever power, whatever position, whatever status, whatever accomplishment, whatever social standing, material success, uh, uh, political office, man has given gained here on this side of glory, it is all on that side of glory transferred to God. They will bow before his ruling eternal glory. It's like this, this parade of redeemed people that are satisfied completely now on that side of glory in giving all their honor to God. They're just satisfied in that. There's no more need for, for different positions. There's no more need for accomplishment. There's no more need for, for drive and competition. Imagine, can we even? Can we even envision a large group of people, millions and millions of people together in one place where there is no longer competition? Can you imagine that? Where there is no longer pride when there is no longer egos, no, no getting snubbed by someone else's self-ambition, ever be on, been on the hurting end of that? No social media self-promotion. No bragging, no boasting, no celebrity drive, no showing off. It's over, it's done, it's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. No longer is there self-glory. How could there be? Who is going to care about all of that stuff? Basking in God's glory. But we don't know what that's like yet, do we? Because we live in a fallen world. We live in a cursed world. And there's just this, this drive this fleshly drive to, to accomplish, to do better. Now, not all that's bad. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. God puts a drive in us to accomplish things. But when it becomes bad is when it hurts other people. 
when we compare ourselves with other people and judge our success wrongly based upon how much better I think I am than somebody else. When it becomes wrong is when we get in arguments with each other, trying to outdo each other. When it becomes wrong is when we're having a discussion with our spouse and we won't listen because we know all the answers already. That's when it becomes wrong. All of that will be gone. It can't exist in the New Jerusalem. Is that something amazing to think about? What's the last thing? The last verse. Verse 27. And nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it. It being the New Jerusalem, the heavenly city. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. There will no longer be sin. Look how it's put together in that verse. It's very direct. It's very bold. It's very black and white. It's not kind of a ambiguous, you know, revelation to us. Well, maybe this will happen and maybe there'll be exceptions. Maybe there'll be a loophole. It's very direct. Look at the terms that are used. Nothing, no one shall ever, but only those crystal clear. Sin is not welcome here. Unredeemed sinners are not welcome here. Gone without a trace. No sin whatsoever. Nothing unclean within us. Nothing unclean outside of us. Now that might even be harder to imagine. There will be no temptation in the new Jerusalem. There will be no guilt in the new Jerusalem. There will be no regret, no failure, no wrong choices. There will no longer be spiritual battles, no struggles, no, oh, I just said the stupidest thing. No, I can't believe I did that. No deep hurts because there is no one and there is nothing to hurt us. No anxiety. There's, there is nothing to be concerned about. There will be no hospitals. No treatment centers. No trauma centers. No courts. No, no prisons. No drug rehab. No anger management courses. No need for counseling. No need for weapons. No morgues. It's done. It's done. Heaven is a place where there will be no sin. And the unredeemed will not have access. The only access is one way. God said it. You can wrestle with it. You can argue with it, you can debate it, but God said it, and he said it multiple times. Unless your name is in the Lamb's book of life, you have no reservation in the heavenly city. It's black and white. It's crystal clear. How does your name get into the Lamb's book of life? By placing your full trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. By saying, he is indeed 
the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no other way to the Father but through him and what he accomplished on Calvary's cross. That's the only way. Everything else will block access. Because in the heavenly city, there is only redemption allowed. There is only purity allowed. It will be a place we will read about in the next chapter where there will be no more curse. There will be no more sin. Think about that. No sanctuary, no sun, no self-glory, no sin. What a list. What a place. I've spent the last week with a dear friend of mine nearly every day in ICU, all dressed up and covered up in an outfit to see him because he's got complications from COVID and is literally dying. And a little over a week ago, he was up and around doing fine. He's struggling. I won't reveal anything personal, and I'm just saying that he's struggling. He's struggling with dying. He's struggling with the shock of, I didn't know this was going to happen, facing eternity. But he knows Jesus. But the struggle is there. And it's, it's been, it's been gut-wrenching, it's been difficult, it's been emotional to watch him go through the struggle. To have a front row seat to see someone struggle between this side of glory and that side of glory. But the same time I see the struggle, I see moments when he puts his hands on his chest and he says, I have peace. He's getting a glimpse. He's getting a taste, a tiny taste. That there is something phenomenal to come if you know Jesus. And then that struggle, all that stuff that you dealing with right now, all that stuff that you've dealt with in your life. Some of you had it rough. You've had a rough upbringing. You've had disaster in your life. You've had, you've had issues in your life, unresolved issues. Be over in a moment. It's interesting to watch. Do you believe that? I hope you know Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for this amazing description of what awaits us if we know Jesus. Hard to imagine. Hard to even conceive. And yet, what a tremendous thing to look forward to. I pray, Lord, that these truths would transform us now. 
pray in Jesus' name. Amen.